God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And um, I, I'm excited about the journey we're on. The title of the message is A True Friend. And we're going to try to define that and look at that together. What does a true friend look like? And so I want to start with this. I wish I could just popcorn with you and we could do this together, but um, because we got an abbreviated morning, I want to say, what does a true friend look like? And you're going to get Chad's answers to that question. But on your bulletin, you can write some of your own. A, a true friend, as I was thinking about it, is loyal. They're sacrificial. They go out of their way for you. They're loving, even maybe when you're a little bit unlovable. They're trustworthy. If you tell them a secret, if you tell them something, you just know they're going to honor that. They're encouraging, right? You may be beating yourself up and they say, yeah, sometimes, Chad, you can be a bit of a jerk, but I love you and, and I encourage you. You're a good man in your heart. So they encourage you and, and, and they walk with you in hard times. They're prayerful. Well, one of the things as a, as a Christian we're blessed with is our true friends and we can be prayerful friends that lift each other up and encourage each other, not just in person, but corporately and privately in prayer. And finally, they're dependable, right? You know if you make a commitment, if they make a commitment to you, that that's going to happen. You can count on it. True friends are dependable. Well, I have some pictures that just scream through true friendship to me this week, all right? To be a dog and a cat and do this, you have to be true friends, right? There's a couple of true friends. And finally, this elephant is being sacrificial, right? He's getting soaked while he holds this umbrella over this dog. They're just pictures, but they generate in our hearts this idea, what, what does true friendship actually look like? And here's what I want to challenge you to think about today. I believe that one of the greatest gifts we can give to another human being is to be a true friend. And that bar may sound low to you until we walk this journey together, but I want you to understand, I think being a true friend is, is an incredible challenge. And so I believe it's a gift. And the great thing is we don't have to have super qualifications. We don't have to be scholarly. We don't have to know the Bible inside and out. To be a true friend, this is something every one of us can step into and do for another human being. We're in the middle of a series uh, that's titled, I Dare You. And Pastor Mike did a great job last week. He, he dared us to trust God and believe that God can use us in our weaknesses, in our disabilities, and use those things that we sometimes struggle with to actually be a resource and a tool to meet others and rescue them and provide for them love and hope in Christ Jesus. So it was a beautiful picture because I think sometimes we see our limitations as obstacles. And Mike said, no, no, no. Our weaknesses, our disabilities, our limitations can be used by God and have historically been used by God for God's glory and for those that God puts into our lives. Well, today, I'm going to dare us all to be a true friend. Now, on the surface, this dare may not seem very bold, very courageous, 
but I believe this is one of the more courageous things we can do as followers of the Lord. And we're fortunate because we have a couple of characters in our Bible that I believe epitomize true friendships. And we're going to look at it through the eyes of a man named Jonathan, who I believe was a true friend to a man named David. And we're going to look at this story as it unfolds in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you want to turn there, I would love for you to journey with me. In this book, we learn about a remarkable friendship, a friendship that survives a lot of difficulty And we're only going to get to touch and snapshot through this story. But I encourage you, if you get the chance this week, read 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I hope you get so hungry you read all the way through the rest of 1 Samuel. But at least get through 23. Because it's in those chapters we begin to see this unfolding of a true friendship between a man named Jonathan and a man named David. Now, the backdrop for this story is very interesting. It's probably one or two sermons in itself. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we learn that king, the king of Israel, King Saul, is being tormented by an evil spirit. And the interesting thing is, this evil spirit is sent by God himself because Saul, King Saul, has sinned. He has not followed through. He has not been faithful, and he's, he's done some things that, that have angered God. So God sends an evil spirit into Saul's life, and this spirit is going to torment Saul for months and years. Well, because he's being tormented by this evil spirit, he asks the people around him, what, what can we do? And they say, you know what? You are always comforted by music. Why don't we get someone who can play the harp, and every time you feel tormented by this spirit, we'll have this person play the harp for you, and it'll calm you. It'll remove your anxiety, and you'll find peace again. And King Saul says, great idea. Well, the man they find is a young man named David. And David is brought into the household of the king, into the palace, and he is there with King Saul. And every time he is troubled by this evil spirit, David plays, guess you don't play your harp like this, do you? But let's just assume I know what I'm doing. And he's probably doing something like this. But he's playing his harp for the king. And it helps the king and it brings peace and Saul quiets. So, so David spends more time in the household of the king than he does in his own household. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but during this time, I think it's safe to assume that he probably becomes friends with Jonathan. Because Jonathan is the oldest son of the king, and David's in this household a lot because Saul is tormented a lot. And so King Saul has has David in his house all the time, and it's my sense that Jonathan and David have become good friends as David plays the harp for Saul. Well, at the same time, a war breaks out with the Philistines, and the army of Israel goes to stand opposed to the army of the Philistines. And this is one of the most famous stories in the entire Old Testament. This is the story where a giant named Goliath begins to torment the army of Israel. And for 40 days, this giant named Goliath comes out and says, you know, bring me your best man. We'll fight. 
And whoever wins, the others will be subservient to the Philistines or the Israelites, depending on who wins this fight. And the Israelites are freaking out. They're afraid. And day after day, they just sit there and get tormented and taunted by Goliath. Well, Jonathan, I'm sorry, David is tending the sheep of his father, and his brothers are in the army. They're there with King Saul, and, and he gets sent. He says, David, go check on your brothers, but let's see how they're doing. And so David goes, and he sees this Goliath tormenting the army of Israel, and he's so offended because it's blasphemy for them, for this, for this Goliath to be saying these things about the Israelites, God's very own people. And so David says, I'll fight this, Goliath. I'll fight this giant. And he's brought before Saul, the king. And we, we see in chapter 17 that Saul sees David as a boy. He says, how can you stand up against this king? You're just a boy. Well, I believe he was probably a young man. But, but that's not as important as he's not seen as this dominating figure that's going to step out and win this fight. King Saul says, you're just a boy. How are you going to defeat this giant? And David says, I've got God with me. And, 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 and he's blaspheming God himself. With God with me, I will take down this giant. Well, Saul is helpless. He he's, has no other options. And he lets David go out and fight this giant on behalf of the army of Israel. And most of you know, sorry for the spoiler alert here, if you want to go read on your own, David, with just a sling and a stone, takes down Goliath. This is a little bit graphic. This is probably PG, but... He has the head of the giant in his hands. And King Saul says, would you bring him to me? So the, the chief of his army brings David to Saul, and they have this conversation. David's sitting there. He's taken down the giant, and the Philistines are overwhelmed with grief. And David stands before Saul. They have this conversation. That's where we're picking up our story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I'll begin with verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan then became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, this in itself sounds pretty cool. That There's a lot going on here. I'm going to process a little bit of it with you. I think this is significant in more ways than we realize because, first of all, Jonathan was the prince. In other words, he was the oldest son of the king. And that meant he was the heir to be the next king. Now, we read this story, and it sounds pretty cool that Jonathan takes off his robe, he takes off 
his spear and his bow and his tunic, and he gives all these things to David, which is a cool thing in and of itself. But there's something super important going on here that I don't want us to miss. The author, Samuel, says twice, Jonathan loved David as himself. Now, that's great wording, it's great language, but the thing we need to understand is when the Bible tells us this, it means that Jonathan loved David sacrificially. That Jonathan would put David first in almost anything because he was going to be a true friend. And so this picture of loving as yourself means to love sacrificially. And we're going to hear that multiple times today in my message. Jonathan loved David as himself. It meant he loved him sacrificially. He got outside of himself and he loved David sacrificially. The second thing that we see in this story that we could easily miss is Jonathan is next in line, right? He's the heir to be the next king. He's, in a sense, the prince, the first son of Saul. So when he takes off the robe and he takes off the tunic and he takes off his bow and his sword and he relinquishes all these things to David, this is hugely significant. In fact, a pastor and author, John MacArthur, says this, and I want to look at it with you. Jonathan willingly and subserviently relinquished his outer gar garment and his instruments that signified his position as the prince of Israel and the heir to the throne. Now, I just want to make sure we understand that. He was saying, without saying, I'm next in line, but I relinquished this position to you. I understand that this is God's will for you, and I'm relinquishing. I'm saying to you by giving my garments, not just that you're my buddy, no, that you will be the next king. Even though, by definition, it, it would fall normally to Jonathan, Jonathan is saying to his friend David, no, this belongs to you. It's an amazing, sacrificial, and beautiful gesture that Jonathan is giving to his friend David as he loves him as himself, and he makes this covenant relationship with David. Today's dare, this dare to be a true friend, will hinge on just one profound truth. So I think we're going to be able to remember it, okay? I'm going to even have you repeat it. True friendship requires us to love sacrificially. If you're willing, will you say that with me? True friendship requires us to love sacrificially. Thank you. Just take that home, soak that up, and walk out of here. Not yet, please, but when you're ready. If you remember that, we're in a good place. True friendship requires us to love sacrificially. And here's where I make us all uncomfortable, including me. I think many of our friendships, many of our relationships, if we're honest, are more conditional than they are sacrificial. Here's what I mean. I don't think any of us would want to admit this. I don't think we enjoy talking about this. 
But I think many relationships we enter into, including some that we use the term friendship over, are, are more about a conditional relationship where I'll give to you as long as I see a return on my investment, right? That, that I will give into your life, but if I sow for six months and, and you're not doing some nice things to, to make my life better, I'm out of here. And, and I think a lot of our friendships are that way. We'll live and do friendship as long as I'm getting a good return on my investment. And in truth, that's not an evil thing. I think it's the American way, right? I, I think our culture is, is defined by this, that, that we give and then what do I get back? And if it's not enough, I'm going to look elsewhere. I'm not saying that's evil or wrong in itself, but I'm saying that's not true friendship. Because true friendship is sacrificial. It doesn't have to be I get back what I give. I'm going to keep giving even if you can't give me anything back but your love. And, and so I want us to know that I am asking us, I am daring us to a calling that is high because true friendship is sacrificial. And it's interesting, just to give us a picture as we think about this, Jesus, in his time of ministry on earth, was challenged by the religious leaders. All the time he was challenged. But one of the times he was asked, which is the greatest commandment, teacher? Tell us which one is most important. And they were trying to trap him. Because God has given us, let's be honest, a lot of commandments. We practice 10, but if we look at the Old Testament, there's a whole lot more that God asks of his people. And so he's asked, teacher, which is the greatest of all the commandments? Do you remember how Jesus answered? There's several places we see it, but in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first, and it's the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But he doesn't stop. He says, All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. What does that mean? All the other laws, all the other things that the prophets say, they hang on these two commands. I think it's this simple. I think Jesus is saying to you and to me, if we love God with everything we got, and then we love the people God puts into our lives as fully as we're capable, the rest is going to take care of itself. We'll fulfill these other callings of God naturally if we do this well. Love God with everything you got and then love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think it's accidental that Jonathan loved David as himself. We see this repeated. Jesus speaks about this because it's so profound and so challenging to love sacrificially, to love others as we love ourselves, because inherently, through our brokenness, we're selfish. I'm selfish. In my, in my flesh, it's not natural to love sacrificially. And so I need God. I need his spirit. I, I need 
to be moved and shaken by the Lord to love sacrificially and to pour out the way Jonathan is sowing into the life of David. Jonathan became a true friend of David. He loved David as himself. Isn't that beautiful? And this covenant relationship that Jonathan made with David would prove to be very costly. It would prove to be very sacrificial for Jonathan. Because not only was Jonathan acknowledging and relinquishing his position as the next king to David, but the trust and loyalty of this friendship would be put to the ultimate test. And I'm only going to be able to give us a taste of this today. So I please, will you read this story when you get a chance? Look what happens next. King Saul, David, and the army return from this triumph over the Philistines, and they return home to Jerusalem. And after this amazing victory over Goliath, we pick up the scripture in 1 Psalm chapter 18, verse 6, and it sounds so beautiful. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. I don't know what a lute is, but Ari, you're going to tell us later, okay? I don't even know what a lute is, but it's beautiful. It's maybe like a flute, okay? Ari, I'm sorry if I'm wrong. And they danced and they sang. Doesn't this sound beautiful? There's joy here. But Saul had slain his thousands. This is what they sing. And David, his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands. What more can he, David, get but the kingdom? And then we say, then we read, and from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Well, this is an understatement of the century. He didn't just keep a jealous eye on David. It was far more significant than that. His jealousy led him the very next day. To David is playing the harp, trying to calm King Saul's spirit. And Saul turns the very next day on David and tries to spear him to the wall, not once, but twice. One day later, after their return, Saul isn't just jealous. He is ready to do anything he can to kill David. And he spends the next weeks and months and years of his life stuck in this place where all he wants to do is find a way to kill David. Then we move to chapter 19, 1 Samuel chapter 19, and we begin with verse 1. Look what it reads. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are, I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Well, we don't get to read it all, but, but Jonathan does this very thing. He, he um, 
checks in with his dad, and he says, boy, that David is a good man. He's a good man, dad. And, and his dad says, yeah, Jonathan, and, and, and why do you want to kill him? He says, well, you're right. And, 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 and so he says to his son, Jonathan, I, that's, I won't do that. I make covenant with you. I, I won't do that. Well, that's a lie. He's, he's lying to his son to placate his son. Saul is going to turn on David again. R- remember, a, a true friend loves sacrificially. Jonathan is basically risking his own life to defend David before his father. And we don't have to go very far to see this play out. If we turn to the next chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 20, 20, Jonathan once again defends David before his father because Saul is still bent on killing David. And guess what happens in chapter 20? Saul turns on his own son, Jonathan, and he tries to spear him to the wall because he's defending David, his true friend. True friendship requires us to love sacrificially. Jonathan risked his own life to defend his friend, David. And here's one more twist on this story. How many of you at some point in your life had a friend, maybe it was an acquaintance, where everything went right for them. Everything they did turned to gold, right? You, you would go and, and maybe you were on the same team and, and they would sink the winning shot. If you were in class together, you'd fight hard and you'd study and you'd get the C, they'd get the A. And it seemed like they hardly tried. You know the thing I'm talking about. That's what David was to Jonathan. Think about this. Jonathan was in that army, shaking in their boots. David walks up, says, I got this. I'll take down that giant. And he does. They come home. Jonathan's not mentioned in the song. Saul gets credit for thousands. David gets credit for tens of thousands. How much Credit does Jonathan get? None. He's a great warrior. If you read the entire book of 1 Samuel, you'll you'll see he did some amazing things. But his friend got all the attention, was the one who was in the limelight. Everybody wanted David's autograph, not Jonathan's. I would say this. It would be very easy for Jonathan to resent and be jealous of David. But in true friendship, there's no room for jealousy and resentment. We celebrate when a true friend gets the job instead of us. Maybe we have to ask God to help our heart be right. But, but you see what I'm saying? Jonathan had so many reasons to turn on David. But he never did. Because his love for, John, for David was so full and so real and so genuine. Our final reading today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 23. King Saul, in the midst of all this, day upon day, upon week, upon month, upon year, has been chasing and chasing and trying to find a way to kill David, but God has not given David into Saul's hands. And Jonathan now goes out to meet his dear friend David. 
And my guess is, if I could give context, and I'm speculating just a little bit, David is fragile, he's worn out, and he's tired because he's just been chased all over the wilderness for weeks and months, and he's escaped barely with his life over and over again. And he knows the king is not going to let up. And he's probably tired, and he's worn out, and Jonathan goes out to meet him. And that's where we pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning with verse 15. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come, surprise, surprise, to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained in Horish. In this passage, there's a lot going on, but there's just a few things I want to highlight for us. Jonathan goes out to meet his dear friend, David. He lifts David up in prayer before God, and he says, God, give my dear friend strength. Strengthen David. He encourages David. He says, David, you do not need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid. And then he reminds David, you are God's anointed to be the next king. I'm going to be second to you. Even my father, he doesn't want to say it, but he knows it. You're God's chosen to be the next king of Israel. So as hard as he tries, David, to take you down, he will not because God is with you. What a friend, right? What a friend. Let's go back and look at the qualities I laid out before us at the beginning of what a true friendship looks like and see how Jonathan did. Was Jonathan loyal? Amen. If you read the rest of the story, you'll know he is a loyal friend. Was he sacrificial? Absolutely. He gave up the throne. <laughs> to allow David to be killed meant he would take the heir and he would be the next king. What an awesome position to be. What a privilege. He gave it up. Was he loving? He loved David as himself. Was he trustworthy? Even when Jonathan's father wanted the secrets, he stood by David. He wouldn't relinquish David's place where he was because he loved David. He was trustworthy. Was he encouraging? Absolutely. He, he came out and said, let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. You need to know that you are the anointed one. He prayed for David. He was prayerful. He lifted David up before God, and yes, he was dependable. He was dependable. All of us could use a friend like Jonathan. Amen? Amen? My dare to all of us this morning is to be a friend like Jonathan to someone. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge me. What does it look like in your life to be a friend like Jonathan to someone? And I want to circle back with you. 
Because some of you may be processing right now and wondering if you have a true friend yourselves. And I'm going to say if you've given your life to Jesus, the answer to that question is adamantly, passionately, 100%, yes. If you can't think of an earthly friend, I promise you, you have a heavenly friend who is a true friend, and his name is Jesus. Let's look at that same criteria again of a true friend. Think about Jesus this time. Is Jesus loyal? Amen. He sees past our sin and our brokenness, and he stands by us even when we mess up. Has Jesus been sacrificial? Yes. He gave it all for us. He died on the cross for us. Is he loving? He is the one who wants to heal broken hearts. He's the one who mends our wounds. Is Jesus trustworthy? There is not a promise that Jesus has made that he hasn't fulfilled or he won't fulfill. Is Jesus encouraging? Jesus said while he was with us, he said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. And the burden will be light, not because life becomes easy, but I will carry it with you. I will walk with you. I will encourage you. Is Jesus prayerful? Well, this is interesting to think about. We see it in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. We're told Jesus always lives to intercede for us. This is present tense. He's interceding on your behalf and my behalf right now with his Father in heaven. Is Jesus dependable? What did he say before he ascended to heaven? I will, I will be with you always to the very end of this age. Folks, you have a true friend and his name is Jesus. And through him, we can find the power and strength to be a true friend to somebody else. I don't know about you, but I can't do it outside of Jesus. But Jesus can give us the sacrificial love for another person that we can live out through him. And if we do, the light of Christ will shine brighter on this earth. I dare you, I dare me to be a true friend. Will you pray with me?